Well, pastor and his family are away for Thanksgiving. They're, they don't usually go for Thanksgiving, but this year they had an opportunity uh, to go away and be together for that. And it's such a joy to have Dr. Kent Engel to be our guest speaker this morning. He's the president of Southeastern University. He's written books. He's got such a storied history, and uh, the school has just flourished under his leadership. The school is now pressing 10,000 students in residence and online. Can we give it up to the Lord for that? And one of the coolest things, their college of ministry that sends out pastors and missionaries and all those serving in ministry parts all over America and around the world, it is the biggest that it's ever been. They're sending out more students in that area, and we're so, so grateful for that. So as soon as we finish a little worship uh, during the offertory time and everything, he's going to come up. Would you give him a great big victory worship? Because they're part of our victory family. He and Karen and the family, this is their home church, and it's such a delight to have him preaching for us. Well, good morning, Victory Church. What a privilege and honor for me to be with you today and to join with those that are joining us online, uh, to be here at, at, at my home church. It's so good to, to feel at home and be at home and I'll tell you, I'm so grateful for an amazing church family that is absolutely committed to know Christ and to make what? Him known. And I'm grateful for our pastor, Pastor Wayne Blackburn, who keeps us strong on that mission. <laughs> grateful for his leadership and my life, his friendship, his wisdom, his insight. He's so good to me. And I'm grateful for him, and I know you all are as well. And speaking of being thankful, boy, I'm thankful to be here on the sweetest day of the year. Wow, walking through that lobby as well and looking at all those cakes and pies and uh, cookies. I mean, there's something for everybody out there, and I've got to make sure I get something to uh, top off Thanksgiving this coming Thursday. And speaking of that, you looking forward to this Thursday? I mean, my goodness, we get to eat turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing and sweet potato casserole and uh, cranberry sauce and, and, of course, victory church dessert, you know, on top of all of that. It's going to be a great day of family and friends, but what I love most about this coming Thursday is when we do gather, we get to gather and we give a shout out to God for His goodness. We just sang about that in our worship and praise. He's been good to all of us. Amen. And we are grateful and thankful. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about finding true courage to ask, but not only ask, the courage to believe. And I want to share and encourage you this morning with something that's really been heavy on my heart the last few months as it relates to what I think is going on in our nation what's going on in our country. I mean, I think we're living in some pretty crazy times, amen? Some crazy days. And, uh, and I've been having a lot of conversation with God about it. And what I've been feeling and what I've been sensing was confirmed not long ago in a conversation that I was having with a couple of our students at Southeastern. And, and being a college president, what a privilege that God gives me to, you know, really sit on the front row to observe, to watch, but to listen, to hear, to learn from a generation that God is raising up because he's going to use them to serve Jesus. He's going to serve, use them to serve the church. He's going to use them with tremendous call of God to go out and, 
and, uh, and, and really advance the kingdom of God throughout this world. And uh, so every chance I can to have conversation with, with them, I do, because God always speaks to them to me in many ways. And in this particular conversation, they were talking about what's going on in our world. And, and one of the students said, Dr. Engel, when I look at the news, I look at all the social media, my goodness, you see so much hate and you see so much division. There's a lot of hurt out there, a lot of pain, um, violence. Um, he said, Dr. Engel, is evil winning in our nation? You know, I know that Christ defeated evil, but is it winning right now? The other student said, yeah, it's almost like maybe God's taking a nap right now. And then they asked me, they said, is there anything in Scripture that really, there's an experience, there's a story, there's instruction about a time like this that we're living in? And I reflected on that a bit, and, and I said, you know what, there actually is. It's found in the Old Testament. It's found in Habakkuk. Uh, and I would like for us to look at this particular passage. So if you have your Bibles with you, whatever form you have brought with you, maybe you brought an old-fashioned Bible or you have it on your iPad, iPhone, whatever it is, we'll also provide the Scripture, I believe, on the screen as well. But I really believe that this passage deals with the same kind of culture that we're dealing with today and what's going on in our nation. But it's Habakkuk chapter 3, and it Begins verse 2 here, and, and you have to understand, essentially this, this book records a dialogue between God and the prophet Habakkuk. And of course, a prophet uh, represents God to the, to the people. And this was a, a conversation where Habakkuk's asking why things are the way they are, God. Why do we see so, so much division and strife and and God, why aren't you doing something about it? And you have to understand when, when Habakkuk was, was in this conversation, historically these words were written just prior to the invasion of Judah by the Babylonians in, in the 7th century B.C. And really the people were essentially living in a way where they were ignoring God. They were turning their backs on God. Uh, didn't really want anything to do with God. And God's judgment was about to come. And Habakkuk was talking to God about these different things. He was lamenting about the culture that he lived in, about the community of people that he lived with. And, and he was talking to God about, God, what are you going to do about this? This passage comes with some angst, as you will see. And Habakkuk captures it well with his conversation. And it captures the idea of what people knew had been seen in the past versus what they were now seeing presently in their culture. This prayer really is in the form of a poignant question. So let's look at this together here in Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning with verse 2. God's word declares, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. 
Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Now let's capture Habakkuk's reflective context in this prayer. You see, Habakkuk begins this prayer by saying, God, I've heard about all these great things that you've done. Heard about your fame. I've heard about your deeds. I hear about the miracles that happened in the past. Now, now what do you think Habakkuk has in mind as he's saying these things to God, as he's reflecting in his prayer and in his conversation. I mean, you talk about the fame and and deeds. These are the things that I'm sure Habakkuk was probably thinking about. I'm sure he was thinking about the Exodus, which is the most definitive moment in, in the history of the Old Testament. God coming to deliver his people. God setting his people free. And there were some pretty impressive things that happen in that deliverance. I mean, you have all of the ten plagues. You talk about some pretty impressive stuff. That's what happened during the Exodus. And then you come to the Red Sea, and, and of course, the Egyptians now are chasing them, and they're at the Red Sea and no place to go. And, and of course, Moses cries out to God, and God supernaturally intervenes, and he parts the Red Sea. The Israelites begin to walk through that. Historians tell us that Probably one to two million people walked through the Red Sea when it was divided. Then there's leading the Israelites to the promised land through the wilderness and cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. You talk about pretty impressive stuff. I'm sure Habakkuk was reflecting on this. I've heard of your fame and and deeds. You have Jericho. Joshua was marching around Jericho, and what did they do? They started to shout. They started to worship. They started to praise God, and all of a sudden, the walls collapsed. And supernatural power fell. You talk about fame and deeds of God. And then you come to Mount Carmel, and Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and 450 prophets of Baal, and and. Elijah has the courage to really challenge them to a spiritual contest. And all of a sudden, fire falls down from heaven. I mean, when's the last time you saw fire fall down from heaven? Maybe at a southeastern football game. Uh, I don't. <laughs> we have 50-foot flames that shoot out of our scoreboard every time they score a touchdown, and it's often. So we have fire everywhere <laughs> at Victory Field. But think about it, fire literally falling all over from heaven. What else was there? Well, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What do they do? They go into the furnace But all of a sudden, another figure appears, and they come out of that furnace completely unburned. You talk about the fame and deeds of God. And then you have Daniel. Think about this. Thrown into a a den of hungry lions, and he emerges victorious out of that. I mean, when Habakkuk was writing these words, he's saying, wow, God, I've heard of all of this stuff that you've done. I've heard of your fame. I've heard of your deeds. And God, now I'm asking you, renew it. What was his mindset? He was focused on on a couple of things. He was focused on the reputation of God. 
He's thinking about all these miracles in the past. I've heard about them, but I've not experienced them myself, God. They're not reality in my life and in our midst. He's thinking about God's reputation, but a second thing that he's thinking about, he's thinking about reality and experience. Reality and experience. And I ask you this morning, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like the God of the Bible is kind of passive or silent in your life? I mean, you too read about all of this in, in scriptures, and you hear sermons, and you hear testimonies about all of the extraordinary stuff. You hear about how God's moving in other people's lives. You hear that God provided something with something that they really, really needed in their life, or they healed them, or, or God was so faithful to someone, and you're thinking, wow, yeah, that's great for them. But you know what? I'm not experiencing that. I'm not, you know, seeing the supernatural power of God in my life just doesn't seem to be happening. I don't see the fame and deeds of God. I don't see the unexplainable work of God. And it just feels like it's rumor to me. Have you ever really thought about the gap, the gap between what you read about, the gap between what you hear about, and what you actually experience every day. In the classic work, Mere Christianity, and I love C.S. Lewis and his writings, but he said this, he said, and this is precisely what Christianity is about. C.S. writes, the world is a great sculpture's shop. And we are the statues. And there's a rumor going around in the shop that some of us someday are going to come to life. And maybe you might feel like that. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're feeling like, yeah, someday I hope my life comes to life. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, renew them in our day and in your wrath. Remember mercy. Author and culture commentator Oz Guinness was recently talking about how the internet has literally transformed our world today and how it has changed us, how we approach life how we have gotten smaller and smaller through globalization. And he talks about how we now live really in a global public square and we can exchange ideas instantly in, in, in real time. And he says as a result of globalization, everything we're seeing in our culture is rapidly changing. And then he poses this question. He says, will the Judeo Christian West sever or recover its roots? Will there ever be a great Christian awakening in our lifetime? 
in our nation, in our world. Do you ever think about that? You ever wonder, again, about these great moves of God? You, you, you read about them in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament, and, and, of course, you can read about them in the last couple of centuries. The God who's the same today and, and tomorrow and forever has done outrageous stuff. Is he going to do something that, that is so unexplainable in our country, in our lifetime? Is God going to do that? Ever think about that? Do you reflect on that? I think about that fact when I look at a generation that he's raising up in this, this nation. Will this generation go to its grave without seeing the historic fame and deeds of Almighty God? And when I reflect about it, it's heartbreaking to me to think they will never experience God in that way. But I want to encourage you this morning that God is writing this epic global, redemptive story, and every single one of you, all of us here, all of us are invited to be a part of that story. In 1857, in New York City, churches were experiencing an unusual sudden decline. People just started abandoning attendance, started abandoning their interest in the local church. There was a church that was located on Fulton Street in New York City. It was a Dutch Reformed church right in the middle and heart of the city. And several of them in that congregation got together and they started to discuss what they were going to do about this major decline in their church. And of course, it was happening in so many other churches one volunteer stood up, and a business guy, his name was Jeremiah Lamphere, and said, you know what, maybe we can, why don't we just gather together during the lunch hour, and let's just start praying about this particular issue. So he decided to put some posters up around the church, put them up at some of the local businesses surrounding the church, announcing we're going to start this noonday prayer. It was on September 21st. It was a Wednesday at noon. And Jeremiah went to the church to begin to pray. And he sat down in a little room there in the church, and he was praying. He had prayed about 30 minutes. And at the 1230 mark, one other business guy walked in and started to pray with him. By 1 o'clock, six people had come into that prayer room to start praying. The next Wednesday, they decided to pray again, and they started promoting it a little bit more. Twenty people came and met in the little room. The next Wednesday, they did it again, and almost 40 people showed up to pray. In the coming weeks and coming months, they outgrew the little room they were meeting in in the church, so they started meeting in one of the larger rooms. They outgrew that room, and they started meeting in the main auditorium of the, of the church. They outgrew that and started to meet in every single room in the church. After months and 
months and months, they decided they weren't going to be able to meet at the church anymore. They were, they were outgrowing all of the, the rooms and, and said, you know what, we need to start meeting in, in other churches around the city. And that's exactly what happened, that other people showed up at other churches and they started to pray. This became known as the Noonday Prayer Revival. People all over New York started to leave their jobs at noon. Instead of going out to the lunch hour and hanging out and and having a meal, they decided we're going to go pray and ask God to intervene in this nation. It's documented that factories started to blow the lunch whistle literally at 8.55 a.m. so that employees would have adequate amount of time to cut out of the factory and get to their local church to begin prayer time so they could be there a full hour. Thousands upon thousands of people started praying in churches all over New York. The New York Times called this the most remarkable revival since the Reformation. The noonday prayer movement began not only to spread in New York, but it began to spread around the nation started to spread in Cleveland, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in Denver, everywhere people started to gather and pray. Over the next two years, by 1859, more than one million unchurched Americans became followers of Jesus. And you got to understand, you got to understand the population of America only at that time was about 30 million people. We have more than 10 times that in, in our nation today. And so something like that would be equivalent of, of having over 10 million people become followers of Jesus. All because one guy wasn't the pastor, wasn't on the ministry staff. He was a local businessman, volunteer in the church, said, why don't we start to pray? Lord, I've heard of your fame. I've heard of your deeds. Lord, renew them in our day. Make them known. Habakkuk had this unrelenting discontentment. Where are you, God? Do something in the people of this nation. Do something in our culture, in our communities. Do something in our time. So what did Habakkuk do? What was his reflective action? It's actually pretty simple. He did what God repeatedly calls all of us to do. It's all throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. He simply calls us to ask to ask. You see, Habakkuk had this insatiable desire in his community, in his lifetime, so he just begins to ask God. You see, the thought of Habakkuk living in in life without seeing the the undeniable, tangible reality of of the supernatural power and presence of God intervene, it just wasn't acceptable to him. Habakkuk was pleading with God, God, do it again in my lifetime. Do it in my generation. Do it again now. Asking God. What does James chapter 4, verse 2 tell us? You do not have because you do not what? Ask. What does John chapter 16, verse 24 tell us? And this is Jesus. He's teaching. 
He says, until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive. And what will happen? Your joy will be complete. When Jesus was telling this story, he was telling about who God is and how we can interact with God. And he gave the analogy of God as Father, and we are his children. And if we like human beings, like giving good gifts to our kids, how much more, Jesus says, does your Father in heaven want to give good gifts to you? It's, it's a beautiful metaphor of our relationship with Christ. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, verse 14, this is the confidence we have when we approach God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will what? Hear us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Verse 8 says, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will open. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is you do not have because you do not ask. And Habakkuk's asking God, renew your fame, renew your deeds in our time, God. Make them known to us. I can tell you in, in our Southeastern University community, specifically this new academic year, we have been asking for God's supernatural power to show up on our campus, and we have been relentlessly pursuing his presence. And I am here this morning to declare to you that there is healing in the house at Southeastern. There's healing on our campus. God is coming down and meeting the needs of our students. Just in the last few weeks, I've been receiving emails of, of how God has supernaturally been touching our students, Mackenzie West, a junior and a communications major, she writes and says at one of our recent conferences, she was healed of celiac disease. She had been struggling eating with certain kinds of foods that, that uh, would flare up depending on, on her diet. And, and she said at the, at the conference, she started to ask, and she says, I started to believe for healing. All of a sudden, I felt the supernatural presence of God that night. I started feeling something begin to touch my body. She said afterwards, we went out for dinner, and she consciously decided to eat some food that she knew would not be well for her with this disease that she had been facing. And she said nothing flared up, and she's had no symptoms whatsoever since that night. God touched her. Young lady by Melody Adorno, a senior communications major. She writes, she began to ask for God's powerful healing presence. And all of a sudden, at our exposure conference on missions, she was praying and asking God to heal her of a disc in her neck. One of the speakers was praying for students after that session 
and she specifically went up to be prayed for for this particular need. She said, I I felt the presence of the Lord. He immediately started to moving uh, in my life, and I began to move my neck around, and there was no more pain, and I have not had pain since that night. God supernaturally touched her. Isaac Brown, a student from Bakersfield, California, recently asked for prayer because he had a blood disorder and he couldn't, couldn't play team sports anymore, and especially football, because of this disorder. He later told our campus pastor, because of what was going on, begin to ask and pray, and God touched him, and now the results have shown, the tests have shown that he is now completely healed of this blood disorder, and he can now go and play football again. God touched him. These are just three stories, but there's more and more and more because God's presence is there. Why? Because we are relentlessly pursuing him. We are asking for him to show up in our midst. Mackenzie, Melody, Isaac's stories all begin with asking and believing. And here's what we can expect when we ask and when we seek and when we knock, three things that I think you're going to see right away. I think you're going to begin to see miracles when you begin to ask and believe. You're going to see the supernatural. You're going to see people delivered. You're going to, be see, you're going to see people healed. You're going to see a, a, a faith grow. It's going to be stretched. And why? Because also you're going to see spiritual growth in your life. In fact, God's going to grow you. Your, your relationship is going to go deep with Jesus when you begin to ask like this and you begin to seek. And then I think you'll also experience the third thing. You're going to experience God's strength like you've never experienced. Why? Because the Scriptures tell us that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro, searching that He will find those whose heart are fully His who are seeking, who are asking. And then he says, and I will strongly support them. That's what happens when we prayerfully ask for God's powerful presence to touch our lives. F.B. Meyer, he says this. He says, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. Maybe we don't ask for these things because we're indifferent. Maybe we're distracted. Maybe we're discouraged. We're frustrated. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we're pursuing so much, you know, other things, goals and objectives in life, but essentially we're just approaching the things of God and doing it kind of in an indifferent way, not really asking and believing. The last part of this verse, and I close with this this morning, verse 2, Habakkuk says, God, in your wrath, Remember mercy. Remember mercy. 
You've got to understand the context of this entire passage. This is Habakkuk calling God on behalf of his people. He's essentially saying, God, I know they're not where they need to be in relationship with you. I know that people have turned away from you. And there is a lot of strife and there's a lot of division and there's a lot of hate that's going on in our culture. And I know that we deserve to to receive judgment, but I also know God, Habakkuk is declaring, God, I know that you're a God of mercy. And maybe we have been indifferent or maybe we've been distracted and maybe we've gotten caught up pursuing different goals and objectives. But what Habakkuk was reminding God that he is a God of mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, but because of his great what? Love for us. God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we're what? Dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. God, who is rich in mercy, great in love, and unmerited in grace. This is amazing because even today, we can ask and we can seek and we can knock for the kingdom of God to break into our community, into our lives, into our churches, into our homes, into our colleges and universities and everywhere. We can ask God to do that even before we leave this place or where you are in your home or where you might be watching online. You can ask for God to step right into the moment. We need to be people who ask for the fullness of what God has. Maybe God has plans. Maybe God has blessings. Maybe God has opportunities that he's waiting to unleash. He just wants us to ask him. I don't know about you, but I I don't want to live just a life of comfort or live a life of safety and miss out on all that God has for me. I don't want to get to the end of my life, get to to my last breath with plans and and purposes of, of, of heaven going unclaimed. That can change today. That can change today before you leave this place. When things around you or this world seems to be spinning out of control, Jesus says what? He says, come to me. Come to me and pour out your heart. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you're feeling and what you're going through. And come to me not only for comfort, but also for direction, for wisdom. For I will help you find the way forward in ways that are far, far beyond your understanding. So I want us to do that today. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, and we're going to close in prayer.
and right where you are. No matter what you've been going through, no matter what you've been facing, you have an opportunity to begin to ask, to seek, to knock, and to believe for God's presence to step into your life and into your family's life and into your work and into your your place of study, wherever. Whatever it is, you can begin to ask. And we're going to do that. And I ask you to respond to the Word. And I ask you, no matter where you are today, to respond to the Word as we pray and seek Him. So let's join together and let's pray. God, I know that there are many here today who want to come to you and experience your presence, want to experience you, God, your power, your supernatural might. In fact, including those who maybe have never really known you, who may be here today and they don't have a relationship with you or they once did have a relationship with you. And I just want to say as we're praying this morning, if you're here and, and you want to turn your life over to Jesus and you want to experience the presence and the supernatural power of God. Maybe it's for the first time. Or maybe you want to renew that. If that's you, I I just want you to repeat this prayer after me this morning. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone to join me in repeating this simple prayer, asking. So let's pray. God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I know that you're my only hope. So I confess my sins. I confess my brokenness. Forgive me. I receive your forgiveness today. I'm no longer condemned. I am free. You are my Savior. I ask that your supernatural presence would be my guide. Meet my needs according to your riches through Jesus. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And God, we've heard in response to your word. We've heard of your fame. We stand in all of your deeds. And we ask like Habakkuk, Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Provide your mercy and grace. And God, we ask for your full measure of everything that you have for each and every one of us today. And we pray that you will move in the hearts of our people in this nation, in our workplaces, in our colleges, our schools, in your kingdom. I pray that you will see it come here on earth. We ask for a great move of God. May there be a revival like we've never seen before in this nation. And we ask it in agreement this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Pastor Dan, would you come? Amen. Do you believe we've heard from God today? Could we give it up to the Lord? Well, we want to continue what we've already begun, and that is this. We've got altar workers that are all down here. And as Dr. Engel said, All we have to do is ask and believe and God will move. Maybe you have a situation this morning in your body, in your family, 
in your finances, whatever it is, and you need God to move on your behalf and you'd like somebody to agree with you in prayer, that's what these altar workers are here for. And we'll stay absolutely as long as you need us to stay to pray for you. Let's close in prayer. The rest of you are dismissed at that point, and then we'll just continue to worship. You're welcome to stay as long as you'd like. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, God, that just confirms in our heart you are a good God. And as we approach this Thanksgiving week, God, we thank you, we praise you for what you're doing in the lives of people. God, you're not willing that any should perish, but every single man, woman, and child should come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And God, we just pray today, Lord, as you go across the auditorium, you know our hearts, you know our minds, you know what we're walking through in our lives. And God, we pray that you would move miraculously, turning lives around and situations around and doing miracles, calling us into your presence, letting us experience you like we've never experienced you before. God, we believe that and we call for revival. God, we ask you for revival in our church in our city, in our community, and around our nation. God, we pray that you would move as only you can do in a divine fashion. Holy Spirit, change the hearts. Open us up. Let us be ready to receive the Word of God across America. And God, today, we want to thank you as we approach this Thanksgiving week for who you are, for your grace, your mercy, for your amazing love. We bless you and honor you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Worship with us. The altars are open.